Hey, well, how many switches do you think is too many switches? Three is the Three. precise number of too many switches. <laughs> that would answer was both immediate and precise in a way that makes it seem like you have experience. Okay. I like to buy digital games because I don't like having crap around the house. And I have a kid who admittedly very good about not losing stuff as a general rule, but mm -hmm. also having cartridges like it's 2023, man. I don't need cartridges. Yes, I'm with you. Child, definitely too old to be putting cartridges in mouth, to be clear. Younger children, maybe not, but yeah. But, but it's small. They're, they're small cartridges. Yes. They're easy to lose. Like, I don't want to have to keep the little boxes around. I don't want to have some stupid case that I paid too much for from mm -hmm. Target or Amazon or something to put them all in. You don't want to have to worry about whether you'll be able to play them on the next Switch or not, because that's a hot topic right now is what, oh, the, what the Switch 2 backwards compatibility is going to look like and whether it'll even be able to accommodate that type of cartridge or not. Look, I'm confident that they will sell you the same games again for the fifth or sixth time without hesitation. Yes, you but can set your watch by it. None of these things are the actual problem I have. So I don't know about your house, my house. We've been playing a little bit of Super Mario Wonder. I, I tried. I would like to. I tried to download it yesterday. We'll get to that. I was unable to download it. So here's the problem. During the Animal Crossing craze of the early 2020s, everybody in our family ended up with a switch so we could each have our own island and each have our own villagers and have our relationships with our own people so I could have Emmett and Gina could have the octopus nightmare monster guy and the kiddo could have the people Agnes and the and her friends and we didn't have to split them up between the houses available on our original shared island. One island per switch possibly the worst decision or policy Nintendo has ever instituted but also before we move on pop quiz can you name all three of your islands from the top of the head. Smithville, Corgi Town, and I don't remember what the what Gina's Island is. Okay. So here, well, also, you couldn't visit other people's islands effectively if you were all on the same switch, which meant going to like mm -hmm. birthday parties and stuff Fair. like that when we weren't leaving our house was a problem. Fair. And it seemed like 200 bucks was a cheap price to pay for that privilege. Anyway, fast forward a few years. We buy a lot of games digitally, and we've done the thing that everybody recommended at the time, which is my daughter switches the primary one, which means she can play all of the games that are on for, for me, for my account, which means she can play all of the games that are on my account without being connected to the Internet. Because often if we're like driving someplace, she'll be playing Switch in the back of the car and she'll play Mario or something. Perfect. I can play whatever I want on my Switch because I'm always logged into the Internet when I play, unless mm -hmm. I'm on a plane, in which case I probably took the Steam Deck these days anyway. So it's not really an issue. My wife, as the latecomer is the one who gets really boned because if she wants to play games that are on my account, she has to log in as me on her switch, which has some save implications, especially for newer games that use the cloud cross save thing. Or we have to buy a second copy of the game, or we have to buy the game on the cartridge and then only one person can play at a time instead of maybe two people playing it at a time. So it's fraught. And like, this is just to be clear, it's a problem because it's a handheld, Right. But also, everybody that's in the Switch family and on the same IP address should just be able to play the goddamn games because, like, that's how it would work. That's how it works on the Xbox. That's how it works on the PS5. Like, if you have one master Xbox that's hooked into the living room and all of the others can play as long as the account is there and it's logged in. To be clear, you're not arguing all three at the same time, the same game, correct? Uh, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> Most of the mm. Switch games that we would want to play all at the same time are probably multiplayer games. Uh -huh. What I'm saying is that the comp with the other platforms, with Xbox, which is where I play multiplayer stuff mostly, if we have three, when we have had three Xboxes in the house, as long as you play, pay for Xbox Live Gold, take give them their blood money, and you, they're all connected to the network, everyone can play as long as the account that's logged in, as long as they're an account on the machine that is that owns the, the game. 
on the same that's machine. On the same machine. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. That's so fair. like yes. if my account is on my daughter's switch and my wife's switch, they should be able to play the game. When my wife tries to play Super Mario Wonder on her switch with her account, it's like, yo, you don't own this game. Get get fucked. Yes. It's, <laughs> a ba- it's a bad system. As we all know, that is Nintendo's official policy. Get fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, man, I don't know. Is it? Are you saying it's time for iCloud style family accounts to come to the Switch or perhaps to all video game consoles? I, I mean, they're kind of already there on the other platforms is the thing, right? Like I, I had multiple 360s in the house. I think I only ever had one Xbox One, but we also had multiple PS4s in the house and the PS4, you don't have to worry about it. It just kind of worked. Right. Yeah. Everybody could play their own stuff. It, like uh, my daughter never bought a copy of Fall Guys, played hours and hours and hours of Fall Guys on the PS4. So I, I don't I don't like I realize that this is a first worldly problem, but also it is a handheld and the, the thing's been out for a long time and they sold them cheap enough that everybody has one at this point, I think, that want that ever wanted one. So I, I don't know. I'm We just. Yeah, it's almost a seven year old thing. It is almost a seven-year-old thing. Been seven years. Well, hey, there's a new platform coming out next year. It's the whole new opportunity for them to get this right. I'm sure it's going to be worse in some new and novel way. Or, uh, as Doug Bowser is so fond of reminding the public and investors recently, they are actually bringing the exact same account system over to the new platform. God, I forgot they put some guy named Bowser in charge of Nintendo. That for the first time, they are keeping an account system across two consoles, so maybe absolutely nothing will change. I mean... I guess that's better than not than it getting work. I'm sure I'm sure they'll mess it up somehow. There's always room for regressions. Well, let me tell you. Yeah. But what's what's going on with you? How's how's how are you like in wonder? Are you finding it good? You want to talk about having fun with a Nintendo switch? Have you have you ever had an SD card die in one of those things? Not in a switch. I, SD cards are, are of the devil. Like, am I am I wrong in this? The, the SD cards are the storage medium of Satan. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Brad. I find SD cards to be fairly reliable and robust, and I've uh, only ever had one fail when I poured a coffee on it. I feel like you are lying. No. I feel, I feel like you are trolling me. I'm not. This isn't a bit. I, I, I actually, like, are micro SD cards too small? Probably. Like, mm. physically. Are, uh, is the, is the, is the medium generally pretty like I can count the number of failures I've had with SD cards on one hand and literally same. it was because I put it on a table and then poured coffee on it by accident. Sure. Like, I, I also have not had that many. I've had like two or three of them fail probably ever. If I yeah. guess. But I mean, you know, like I, I run log to Ram on all of my raspberry pies, so that helps for sure. But anyway, I have a 400 gigs, so like a decent sand disc. It's like a U1 class. Yeah. Sandisk, I've had it for like. Is it an app? Is a U1 app class? Is that the one that is oh like tuned for rights? Dude, I I've probably still got the browser tab open. I spent way too long on Kingston's site today looking at different types of SD card classes because I I'm bought, buying a new SD card for my Switch. I bought the one with Luigi on it. That's the bit. You know what? That's how you know that it's quality. Yeah, <laughs> of course, Luigi is who they put on the yeah. best SD card. Yeah. Uh, anyway, SD cards fail in. Actually, I, I could even walk that back a tier and say storage failing is maybe one of the worst ways for hardware to fail or one of the worst types oh, yeah, of hardware no, to fail. Yeah, I'll agree with that 100%. Because the, the ways that things act when storage is going bad are so baffling and terrifying. I thought my Switch was was d- dying rapidly on Friday when, when Mario Wonder came out and I went to try to download it. But everything I tried to do on it was taking like 30 minutes long, including like a system update and a reboot. And at one point it tried to load the home screen in and all it loaded in was the gray background, the button prompts at the bottom and a little throbber in the middle. Wow. And sat like that for 15 or 20 minutes. No games loading in, no nothing. 
it finally loaded in empty tiles for all the games, but it still could never load all the art in. And that was just because the SD card was was was, yeah, was caulking out. After like an hour of trying to troubleshoot stuff, and again, that was like like I said, there was a system update that took like thirty minutes. I almost hard powered it off in the middle of that system update because for the five people who don't have switches out there, system updates on the switch literally take like fifteen seconds. Like, it, it's faster than rebooting sometimes. Yeah, it like, feels like like so as soon as a system update on the switch takes longer than like a minute, you're like, okay, something's bad wrong here. And once it got to about fifteen or twenty minutes, I was like. I guess I have to either let the battery die or just hard power this thing off. But I, it's it's probably a good thing I did not hard shut it off in the middle. Hard of Hard shutting it off would have been bad, I think. I might actually have bricked it in that case, but I, I left it for about 45 minutes. And when I came back, it had finally finished updating. Okay, so important questions first. Where are your save games stored, Brad? Uh, save, save games. So I've, I've done a crash course in Nintendo data management facts in the last two days. Uh, save games can only ever be stored on the system storage. So oh, that's, okay. So that's, that's good. That's smart. So that's good. And screenshots and videos can either be stored on one or the other. Yeah, but that's fine. But those were on system memory too. It's nothing but game installs on the SD card, so I didn't lose anything. Losing like a Breath of the Wild save game would be a bummer. Yes, yes. Well, all that is backed up in the cloud, except for the like three games that don't support that, such as Animal Crossing and Dark Souls. Animal Crossing, you can back up your if you if you pay for the the Nintendo Online, it will save it saves a backup in the cloud, but you can't share it between devices. Oh, you just can't move the island to a new device. That's what it is. Well, you can, or but you have to move the entire account. Like, it happens when you copy your account to the new God. device, not when you. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. Uh, anyway, long story short, after an hour of thinking the switch was dying, I finally thought to shut it off, pull the card out and reboot it. Totally fine. Like to acted completely normal without that card in, tried to format the card that took about 30 minutes. Wow. You think you just hit the right, the right limit on the card or something? If it's only doing the saves, it's, I mean, if it's only doing the games, it's probably not that much writing to the, the card. The entirety of the card has basically only ever been written to once because I've basically kind of filled it delete. with, with like maybe a few, like I might've deleted a few games here and there to install other stuff, but it's not like I'm constantly. And then even after 30 minutes of formatting the card, I went to download Mario wonder and it said like, it was going to take like 23 hours and the time was going up. Oof. Uh, rebooted again, downloaded to the system storage. It took 12 minutes and then I was able to play the game. So anyway, moral of the story, if your switch acts like it's possessed, you probably need a new SD card. Or it is. It could be possessed. I mean, it is Halloween. Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hello. I have, I have two two other things on the on the Switch front. One is that my wife got an OLED Switch and it has the Ethernet port in the dock. So when Ooh. I need to download a game, I just drop my Switch into her dock. Oh, wait. Oh, I, I'm, I am sure I knew that at one point, but they put the Ethernet port right in the dock? Right in the dock. Oh, that's awesome. And it I'd, is so fast compared to the normal Wi-Fi downloads? Yes. I, I have a, um, I have a, like a $12 Ethernet to USB adapter that I use with mine, oh. so I also have that. But yes, that's, yes, like a, about 12 minutes to download Mario Wonder. The downloads are so much faster. H- having the Ethernet port to play like Tetris 99 turns out real nice. Mm-hmm. 
Can't beat a hard line. The, the other thing is that they did the stupid, we're not going to let you do your save management with with Super Mario Wonder, too. So like, you can't have multiple save profiles on the same account oh, for Wonder. Yes. I saw Patrick, Patrick was complaining about yes. this on Twitter the yes. other, or, or Blue Sky or something the other day. All, all games should have multiple save slots. I mean, good God, man. Just let us have multiple saves, please. That's all I want. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I will say, you know, I on the one hand, I was very annoyed at the prospect of having to buy a new Switch like a year or less before a Switch 2. On the other hand, I started looking at those OLEDs and I was like, you know, maybe it wouldn't have to be the worst thing. I mean, I'm going to say, I so having used her OLED, I played most of Tears of the Kingdom or most of what I played of Tears of the Kingdom on her on her OLED. It's real nice if you play in handheld mode. Yeah. If not, you can probably just buy the dock, the the Ethernet dock for your for your old Switch and and get the same effect. Well, um, or those adapters actually, it's like yeah, 50, or, 15 yeah. bucks for an Ethernet adapter. Yeah, the other the other thing is like I think the Switch has reached the place for me where it has enough games of note that I'm gonna want to go back to that I probably want to keep one that works. Like I kept a sure. Wii that works. Yeah. I have an Xbox 360 or two that work. I think I'm gonna want to keep a Switch probably long term. So hell man, I hooked my Wii U back up recently. I get it. My look, I still think that the Super Mario World version of Super Mario World on the Wii U is better than the Switch one. Uh, the, the, the one that the, it doesn't have Bowser's Fury, but like they, it, oh, it runs better. World? Yeah. Mario 3D World. Wait, you're saying the Wii U version is better than the, the Wii U version. Board? The Wii U version, the 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 new one always felt like it had some sort of weird input lag or something oh, to me. It felt a little, little chonky compared to the Wii U one. Well, I have both versions, so I'm set. Yeah, you're good. Uh, however, the red light on the front of that thing. It's so bright. It's so annoying. I might actually pull the power on it again. Uh, because I'm tired of looking at it right underneath my brand new television. You could just, Ooh, which, good which segue. I guess was a segue. You could put a piece of black electrical tape on that red light and you're fine. I died. I'm becoming acquainted with light dims. Yeah. I might order myself a sheet of light dims. You could also literally just take, cut a little tiny square of black electrical tape off. Well, and you know, you I'd still like to be able to know when the light is on or if it changes color. Just nope. not, not so bright. You don't need it. You're fine. Uh, well, let's say there might also be some lights on this new TV that also are in desperate need of being dimmed. Yeah. Well, so, okay. So you teased that you bought a new TV kind of out of like, I honestly, I was expecting this to be a multi-year endeavor of you going out and finding the perfect TV and waiting for yep. like specs and micro LEDs and all that stuff. And then you like, you just casually like dropped a, you know, I bought a new TV mm -hmm. and I'm not going to talk about it. Bomb like a month ago in a podcast. Uh, so today Today, we're doing follow-ups. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about Brad's new TV. Uh, and we're also going to talk about some coffee stuff, a follow-up yes. from the coffee episode of last month. So. Yes. This, this actually started because we were both extolling the virtues of 40 hertz gaming to each other. And yes. We were, we were like, we should talk about that because that's a very cool, interesting new phenomenon. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that yes. 10 more frames a second would, ma would matter? But it turns out. Uh, but that might not be a whole episode, so it seems like a good chance to also discuss this set. People still call them sets. I got a do new they? set. I got a new set. Do you remember? Do you remember console TVs, Brad? Did oh, you? Yeah. Did your grandparents oh, have yeah. ever console TV? Dude, like one? Dude, my my parent. I have. <laughs> I grew up with a. You mean like the? It sat on the floor. You're talking about a CRT television inside of a giant wood or faux wood cabinet. I think wood, faux wood is probably where they almost all were. Yeah, uh, that sits on the, the we apps. Yes, I grew up with. That is what I grew up with. My grandparents had one that was TV. on a lazy Susan, which wow. I wish I could get the bearing for that thing because I bet like it had to weigh four hundred pounds, 
and you could rotate it so you could no matter where you were in the room you could look square on god i need to ask my parents if we have any pictures of that tv it was gigantic and yeah. it, sat on, it sat on the floor because that's the only place that there no, no table had ever been built that could hold that thing no yeah and if you had to move it good luck three yeah. three adults yes um they they don't make them like that anymore no they out. do not no they do yeah. not i think i think ours was 26 inch also i was under no circumstances allowed to hook video games up to it Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we, my grandfather, when I came over, would hook up the, this was NES era, probably, maybe even SNES era, but he would hook up the old uh, 2600, or 50, I think it was a 5200 or whatever the upgrade one was. And uh, we would play Atari games that he had bought at the flea market. Oh, man, uh, that sounds fun. That sounds fun. My, I mean, my, it was up and down. Yeah. My, our, my designated playing games TV was an old 19 inch from the 70s downstairs. Oh, at our uh, house, my designated playing games TV was a was a twelve inch from that was like a portable with a handle on it, and uh, I I did a lot of TI ninety nine four A basic coding and playing ooh. NES and later SNES on that thing. Coding on a TV, uh, we had yeah. that console TV in the living room through at least ninety five because when I got my first PlayStation, I brought it home and immediately went to what was still the biggest TV in the house, which was the console TV, wow. and hooked it up and played Toshinden on it and got yelled at a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and it was worth it. <laughs> okay, so I assume when you brought this new TV home, you plugged it in and hooked a console up to it and you didn't get yelled at at all. Yes, yes. I, first thing I did was play Battle Arena Toshinden on this brand new 4K television. Really? How was it? Yes. Still uh, as good as it was back then? Chunky. Yeah. Let's say. I bet those were some dirty pixels. I could have done that. You know, I could have done that with the Mr. Because the Mr. has a fully functional PlayStation core. Now I actually could have played. I, I still could play Toshinden on this TV and... As I say that out loud, I realize there are implications for the mister in this in having a 4K HDR TV that can, we can talk about. There's a can, lot. Can here. I make a I, I would I can I make a content request? Sure. I I don't have any personal experience really with a play, the PlayStation generation except mm -hmm. for going to a friend's house and playing I think Tomb Raider. And like that Mr. Core is an opportunity for me to experience this, this magical age of gaming for the first time, really. Um, and I would love, like, I, I need, I need, there's too many games. Like I look at the list of games. They're also kind of big, so I don't mm -hmm. want to fill up my NAS with them or whatever. Yes. But I, I need like a, I need like the ultimate hit list of like the things I should play that aren't probably final fantasy seven. Cause you know, that's going to second part of that's going to come out. And I already know you already spoiled the thing about what's her name. So yes, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the, the, the PlayStation hit, hit that level of market penetration where they put out thousands. I think there's literally like a, well over it's, 2000 it is, games. It is like it, a I think. super Nintendo or Wii size yeah. catalog. It feels I think, like, yeah, I, I think I want to say a full set of PlayStation games is like multiple terabytes. If I'm not mistaken, if you get all the Mahjong and, and the porn games, yeah. it's it's like 4.3 terabytes, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially if you're the kind of loon, no offense to these loons who who want every version of from every territory of every game. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and also all the point ones and point twos and point threes yes. as they rev them. Yeah. I don't, I, don't, but, I don't I don't need every revision of Metal Gear Solid. I'm, yeah, but like I want to know the things I don't know about that. Anyway, I didn't mean to get fall down this tangent, but I yeah, yeah I just don't I don't know anything. I don't I, I know nothing about it. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm PlayStation I'm, curious. I'm kind of in the same boat with the Saturn because the Saturn core, I believe, just got added to main. Uh, oh, really? Mister, yes. Yeah, I so need to update. Can, so the Saturn core is like not done, done, but like it's done enough that. Uh, Do you still need two sticks of RAM? Yeah, I believe that one is another case like the PlayStation where it's like slightly better. 
Okay. I, th- I think I think this one is more better with two sticks. The, the PlayStation Core, <laughs> it's it's pointless. Like I I I have two sticks. I bought a second one just to have it in case. And it's like audio timing is just slightly better on a few games and a few oh, other wow. things you'll never notice. But I, I believe there are more profound compatibility concerns with the Saturn one and two RAM. I think. Okay. Okay. I think I think there's more utility. The bigger thing is there are actually now there are some arcade like the Mortal Kombat is going to absolutely require two sticks. Wow, really? Um, Mortal Kombat one? Yes, and Narc. Oh, wow, Narc huh. like all all the midway stuff people yeah, are working yeah. on. Uh, the Jaguar Core, which may or may not ever actually get finished, but if it does, that is also going to absolutely require two sticks. So there Probably. are reasons to have it. Problem with the Jaguar Core is nobody has the right controller for that thing. Yeah, you can just hook an old phone receiver up to it. Probably good. Uh, yeah, but um, anyway, so like yeah, the Saturn, so your TV. Yes. Yeah, sorry, we're rambling here. Yeah. Um, um but what did what did you end up getting? What a high sense U8K sixty five inch. Why why that model in particular, Brad? Um, when I was helping my parents pick out a new TV a couple three months ago, we got it down to basically that one and the LG C two and and the the current Samsung OLED. We were kind of looking at. And I think we've talked about this part already before, but <laughs> eventually it was it was put to my dad. Do you want do you want the good enough or the best? And he said the best. So they got the OLED. There you go. Uh, but I, then I had researched the, the Hisense quite a bit. And uh, our things, that's what we're saying, right? Our things. Sure. That's the pronunciation yeah. we've settled on. We should on. change it every episode, I think. But whatever. They, they, they have since slid the U8K into their best mid-range TV slot. Um. So basically kind of seeing their review come out and having them bless the TV uh, push you over was the final like, OK, I, I just want something. I just want something because after spending two weeks looking at an OLED and then coming back home to this 1080p plasma, they're like, it's dark and it was and scary. It was not happening anymore. I'm sorry. So um, it's bigger than your old, cause your old TV was a 45 or 50? uh, 55, 55, 55. Yeah. 55, 55 at about 10 feet, which is a little bit too small. Uh, so I, I knew I wanted to go 65. I mean, you could have gone bigger, but it's an apartment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, come on. The stairs are become a problem at some point or yeah. another. Yes. Um, what do you, do you, okay. So question in previous days, mm-hmm. previous long, many, many, many months ago, we talked about your long ass HDMI cable that was like 30 feet long and kind of snaked around your apartment to get from the office mm-hmm. where the computer is plugged in. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say the gauge was heavy enough that it could only do so much snaking. Okay. So it was pretty, a big, thick, thick, thicky, a pretty, pretty big, thick HDMI cable. It was just like a six pound cable. It's like a, like the trunk of a tree. <laughs> did did do you still have the long ass hdmi cable i do have it just because i haven't gotten rid of it and who knows when you might need a 30 foot hdmi cable <laughs> i don't think you need that era of hdmi cable 30 it's, feet probably it's, it's hanging uh, on a hook on the back of the door in this room so it's not like i can see it or know it's there it's not like it's laying in the floor at all the time okay okay um but i bought a newer long hdmi cable Ooh, it's fiber optic oh that sounds exciting expensive it was 50 bucks that's it's, not too bad. It was 50 feet for 50 bucks. It was $1 hmm. per foot of fiber optics. Wow. That's plus, that's awesome, actually. Plus a free transceiver in one of the ends of the cable, apparently, because I'm sure you have to have something to convert electricity into light. Probably in both, right? Right. Um, yeah, actually. So that's one of the really interesting things about what we're talking about is this has been a thing for a while. Like you convert, convert like like video signals, I guess, yeah, Ethernet like, to Ethernet, fiber, yeah. USB. USB is another one. Yeah, basically like electricity can only go so far over cable before it needs to be electrically repeated. 
Yeah, so either but, you have to put something that plugs into the wall and puts electricity into the sig- into the cable, or right. yeah, uh, or you can use light through fiber optics, which goes way, way, way farther. So I, uh, I, it's funny. I've thought about doing this with the stream PC and just running HDMI to fiber into my garage, so that that is out like not in the in the room that I sit in all day. Um, but it turns out it just I, I started thinking about the mechanics of it, and I don't want to spend that much time crawling under the house and drilling holes in the concrete. Yeah. Concrete foundation of the house. I get it. Um, This is is just getting uncoiled down the hallway when I need to use it. Yeah. Um, Have you, have you tried it yet? So I've, I've, I've messed around with it. I I bought it wanting to play cyberpunk with the the path tracing in 4k and everything. Spent two evenings dicking around with windows settings instead, trying to make things work right. Oh yeah. Not actually, I basically wasted enough time. I wasted enough valuable video game time on trying to make HDR and VRR and all that stuff work in Windows that I haven't actually gotten to play Cyberpunk yet. And then other games came out. You're on Windows 11, Windows 10, uh, 10, right? Still 10. I I think that's, I think, I think your Um, Windows 11 experience there would have been a little bit better. Yeah. I think I was asking too much of the whole setup though, because I was going, I was going out of the HDMI on the, on this graphics card to the TV, Mm -hmm. but I still had my monitors on. So I've got two 25 or 1440p, I should say. That should work. 244 hertz, 1440p monitors in here at the same time that I was asking it to do 120 hertz out with VRR. That, that should be fine. I don't. Well, but when you throw both free. So I was doing free sync to these monitors and VRR on the TV. And I'm guessing when you, you throw, might have had to turn VSync or yeah, sync off on the monitors. I, I, might, I, 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 hmm. I guess. And again, I just got distracted. I'm playing actual video games and not fighting with that thing. Um, my guess is that throwing two different adaptive sync standards into the mix at the same time was causing issues my, yeah. my, my plan if and when i get back to it probably after i'd play alan wake i'll get back to trying to play cyberpunk uh i think the plan is i'll just turn these monitors off like just make it so that the, the pc can only see the tv oh that makes a, sense as a display and then i think it'll probably be fine because everything yeah. else worked fine like 120 hertz worked fine hdr worked fine to the extent that it works fine in windows 10 generally which is iffy but yeah did work you know that's very game dependent as well but the point is like everything except the adaptive refresh seemed to be working fine over that cable i well i was going to say when we were talking about the, there being a transceiver in the cable sure enough it's a unidirectional cable you can oh only, so you have to plug it wow the ends of the hdmi cable say like source and screen or something to that effect and you have wow. to make sure you have to make sure the source end is plugged into the outputting device and the screen end is plugged into the tv that's a trip. I didn't know that. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I'm sure it just saves cost, right? Is my guess. You know, you only put the transceiver in one end of the cable, or, or you know, you don't, center, dupli- yeah. you don't want to duplicate functionality on both ends just so that you can reverse the cable. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Um, it's, 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 it's transmitter and receiver probably because HDMI is bidirectional, though, right? Does it do it, arc back? Yes. What's that? Will it do arc back? Uh, I doubt it. I doubt. Probably it. not. Right. I have not, I have not tried. Huh. Um, but, That's interesting, yeah, I, though. I was, I was, I was kind of floored. I was kind of shocked when I went on Amazon and saw they were that cheap. Because last time I had thought about trying to send video over fiber, it was like you need some multi hundreds of dollars converter box, you need a box, and, yeah, and, and stuff like that. Um, or you know, there's there's also been um, there's also been HDMI over Ethernet, like not mm-hmm. fiber, but actual like standard like twisted pair or copper or whatever Ethernet cable. You can, you can do HDMI and I think uh-huh. USB over over yeah. ten base. Thousand base T. I think I think it isn't HD base T is the name of the standard for HDMI over Ethernet. I believe. I think so, but I'm not. Um, I'm not 100. Anyway, long story short, that stuff has been very expensive and fiddly in the past, and needed like like I said, converter boxes and all this other shit. 
Well, it usually and, lagged HDMI standards a few a yeah. little bit for a while. So, so this this is a fully HDMI 2.1 compliance hmm. fiber cable, all contained in the cable, no box, no nothing. Fifty bucks, like it, and it just worked. I was like shocked. Blown that sounds away. pretty. I mean, you think about it. You have a projector or something in the ceiling. You need that. That that cable is important, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. Like this. I mean, I I would. This was a lower cost brand. Like if I were doing this, if I were doing a run inside the walls, like something that you want to last for years. I yeah, probably buy those gotten, gold gold tips. Gotten, gotten a nicer v- version of this or something, yeah. but for something that I'm just going to use off and on, like I was, it's it seems totally fine. Honestly, if you're doing the fiber in the walls, you probably buy something that the transceiver and the and the receiver are separate on, right? Probably. So probably. that you so you don't have to pull the cable every time the standard actually, upgrades. Actually, yes. Because the fiber, it turns out, will be good for a really long time. Fiber fibers, especially if you get the right capacity, it'll just go. Like you, um, can, you so can get fiber that does 100 gigabit. Uh, for like not that much money these days. Um, well, so Brad, what is the what, what, TV has the full range of is it fully is it fully functional? You got the HDR was, ten, you got the Dolby yeah. Vision, you got the. It was kind of kind of what drew me to this TV was I mean I live for the bang for the buck thing you know the the seller on three hundred A of televisions yeah basically Hell that's yeah. kind of it's kind of what this is honestly right now is. I don't think there's anything else out there that does all the formats at this price level. So I, I paid nine nine ninety nine for the sixty five inch. Oh wow! Um, okay, it's, it's gone back up a little bit by like a hundred bucks or something. But um, I believe, short of the recent LG OLEDs, it is the first TV out there that will do four K one hundred twenty hertz and Dolby Vision all at the same time. So, like. Well, you don't have a 4K TV yet, but have you seen, I'm sure you've seen the Xbox screen. That's just like the big series of either green checks or like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that when I plugged in the Series S into the, into the, yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was pretty gratifying setting everything up and doing that Xbox config and just seeing nothing but green checks all the way down of like, this thing does everything. And I was, you know, like, like I said, that was one of the big selling points of this was for the price. The amount of features it supports is pretty good what um does it do anything like i mean okay so it ticks ticks all the boxes does it do anything particular did you upgrade the receiver too or you keep the same oh, receiver? Same, same receiver i'm just running devices straight into the tv now that need it okay so i can still put like the switch and the wii u are going through the old receiver because it doesn't do 4k much of anything and you and you have arc coming back to pipe audio out of the receiver from the from the connector that goes uh, from the receiver to the do an optical optical out of the oh, you do an optical okay back, back into the receiver to get audio out that way um okay. this, this tv only has two hdmi 2.1 ports oh i should i should point out uh so, so you know PlayStation there, there five are, and xbox one yes, xbox yes. series rather yeah and one of those gets pulled if i run that pc line yeah so so there are you know there are a lot of the higher end tvs will have four of those so there are some some trade-offs but yeah so that's one of those things like if i it's funny because over the last decade, the number of things that are plugged into my TV has gone down a lot. Really? Well, because it used to be that there were a lot of there used to be three consoles and um, uh, uh, like multiple streaming boxes. Because remember, in the old days of streaming stuff, you could get one service on one platform and some services were only on Roku and some were only on Apple TV and sure. some weren't on Apple TV. And yeah, it was a mess. Now everything's everywhere. So that's less. So it's like I have an Apple TV and a switch basically plugged in and a steam. I, I, I do have a steam deck dock on my living room, but it doesn't get used all that often. So fair. Um, fair. um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of 
lunatic who is like, what if I hooked up every game console I have from the last 15 years? Yeah, I was going to say, can you do component and stuff on it? Does it have analog inputs at all? I do not know. Not not out of the box. Definitely not. Okay. But there might be some kind of breakout something or other that I could get. I've seen I some mean, talk. Are, are you in like a retro tink category there? You're, you're probably for- better off. You're probably better off just getting a retro tink and, uh, and, and upscaling that way at that point. It makes sense. I don't, I don't know that this model actually does any kind of component breakout now that I'm looking around. Um, I should probably say it is, it is an LCD TV <laughs> just in case people yeah. are wondering. It's not an OLED. It's, it's, it's LCD with mini LED backlight, which we've talked about numerous times. It's the kind of somewhat higher resolution LED backlight that can dim zones off and on to help achieve like better, uh, darker blacks and, and better contrast levels. Yeah, how does how does it handle stuff like uh, like titles like, like titles at the well, end of a movie like remarkably well like I you know not everybody cares about the level of product assessment that I do but like if you go to Artings if you do care about that stuff like they are so granular and so standard with their tests on everything they do about like we're using the exact same frame of this movie with the same subtitles on every TV to judge like haloing around the text which is where you get some like whitish glow around white text yeah. on a black background for example. Um, like the mini LEDs are notorious for having haloing around that exact, exactly that, right? Like very bright or white stuff on dark backgrounds. Yeah. The TV in our bedroom has variable backlight and I actually just turned it off because it was, it was really annoying. Anytime the screen was dark, then it would just be invisible. And then when, then it would be be like the room would be, it was light. It was dark. It was light. It was dark, which wasn't what you wanted. So I I rolled the dice on that because I, you know, I I knew that would bug me too if it was bad, but I was like, whatever, I just want a TV. Let's see how it goes. And like, I am shocked. I am absolutely shocked at how not noticeable that stuff is like i don't i don't see the dimming zones going off and on at all like it's kind of insane to me how well that's the that's the benefit of having because the the resolution of those lighting zones is is really high now yeah right that's that's what you see in the reviews for a lot of the mini led tvs is you see like the like like hdtv test is a great youtube channel like he literally counts zones he he counts dimming zones the way that the digital foundry guys count pixels uh when they're assessing stuff, you know, they're literally just using their eyeballs to determine like how many, how many yeah. zones does this thing have? Cause I don't think they necessarily always, uh, publish that information or at least not that specifically. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think these things are just getting way better. I think it's just that the, the, the resolution of the dimming zones is, is going up year over year and it's finally getting to the point where it is fine grained enough that you're not going to notice it much. Well, and the software and the image processors are also more capable yeah. now too. So they know how to handle stuff like vertical scroll, like verticals. When you think about it, yeah, of course the early models that supported the variable dimming should have been able to handle white text on a black background moving, moving vertically because it's like, it happens at the end of literally every movie made in the last hundred years. Yep. But I guess they didn't do that. So, yeah. um, uh, that, that all sounds, it sounds really good. Yeah. What, what's the app sitch with it? it? It's a Google TV. It's a Google it's got, TV. It's, so, okay. But does that mean you have like a little robot that pops up when you turn the TV on or I have not? I have not actually seen, uh, the Android logo anywhere, but this thing definitely runs Android. Okay. Like you can, uh, you how, can dig, you can dig in there and find all the build information. It is absolutely running Android. How, like, well, I don't, I, so Google, there've been three different iterations of Google TVs in the time I've been doing this stuff, starting with the, um, the, the bad, the bad thing that Sony released with the huge ridiculous controller that we've laughed at before. And then, then the Chromecast stuff kind of came out 
which was never really called. Then they had Android TV. Then they had Google TV, which is like a Chromecast with apps. It seems like I think that I think that's what this is. This is my first experience with anything called Google TV. So I'm, but what you're describing that last bit, which is a Chrome Chromecast with an app store is basically what this feels like. Okay. Where is it? Like, does it have, so on Apple, the TV OS, the Apple TV apps are all custom made for the platform and tie into TV OS features. And like, you can't just run phone or tablet apps or whatever on, on the TV, like the developers have to do some work and choose to be on that platform. Is, is the Google thing the same way? I assume that's the case here because everything I've installed, I've, I haven't installed anything that comes up in like a phone sized aspect ratio. Okay. For example, I, I assume everything is at least getting attention to be it like TV enabled, but they at least check the box that says, yo, put this on the TV. Yes. But I mean, like some of the stuff I'm installing, like I'm pretty sure the VLC I installed was called VLC for Android, if I'm not mistaken, but, oh. it, but it looks like it should fit on a TV screen. Well, Android handles the resolution, different resolutions better than or, or, iOS used to, at least maybe, maybe these are getting, getting less conversion to TV than I thought. I don't know. Yeah. That's, um, but it has the apps you want basically pretty much. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, all the commercial services, absolutely. <laughs> but like, like VLC, um, Jellyfin, steam link among, among things that are like not so mainstream. Okay. Those, those have all been there. I didn't think to look for moonlight yet. Moon, Moonlight's um, on there. I looked, I looked I'm, for that before we did the episode. I'm sure um, it is. Uh, Moonlight is the game stream, uh, NVIDIA game stream compatible client that now, yeah. now that game stream is not part of the NVIDIA tool anymore, you can use a thing called sunlight to stream from, sunshine. which is sunshine. Sorry. Yeah. Which is quite good. Um, I'll, I will say I tried steam link for the first time this afternoon. Not a great experience. S- steam link is up and down right now. Steam link is steam link was great for like, the first year and change that I had the steam deck and then they broke something where the audio is breaks up oh, after that, like five that, minutes. That was the worst problem I was having was That's, the audio was like unlistenable. Yeah. It's usually flawless. And then that started this summer. Uh, my, uh, my, the, the, the thing that I've heard is that there's a new major revision coming to it and that huh. they haven't fixed it because of that, because it, the, that it's been imminent for a while, but revision, it's also the app you mean for this, for the way the steam streaming stuff works. Oh, I see. Uh, to make it better and more reliable, okay. but uh, but like it it is just fucking broken and has been for like six months at this point almost it seems like Interesting. five four months at least. Interesting. I, I, um, I also had pretty bad input lag, which that I don't know if that may may actually be the TV's fault, not the app, if I had to guess. Although it was very novel to just pair a DualShock Four with my television directly. So I will say there's a there's um I think it's Cloudy Gamer is the subreddit where they talk about input lag on different Bluetooth t- devices and controllers, and there's a mate of course there is there's a matrix of things that work best. The thing I have found is that like Apple used to have really bad input lag with all of their controllers. They've changed the Bluetooth stack in the new version of TVOS, which is supposedly supposed to make it better. I haven't actually tested it yet. Um, the Steam Link, Steam Link slash moonlight to the steam deck has been much better than anything else I've ever used, um, pretty consistently. So, uh, it, it's, my guess is it's probably a bad Bluetooth stack in the TV and you probably want to either use a wired controller or get a box that'll do it better than, yeah. than what you have. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm actually going to rely on this in any way. I also could not figure out how to get games to output at 4k. My monitors are 1440. Like I said, Oh, steam link games. And, and so all the steam games I ran, even on this 4k TV running the steam link <laughs> app, Topped yeah. out at topped out at fourteen forty for resolutions. 
So you need to put a piece of software on there that makes a fake 4K oh, monitor that it can okay. mirror to. But it, okay. that that also is a pain that's, in the ass. That's, that's a hassle. And I'm not sure that HDR would even work over even if even if every all other things were equal. I'm not sure that. So on Windows 10, it probably won't. On Windows, the, getting HDR to work over the streaming is one of the things that I believe is the update that's coming I for. See. Okay. So for the Steam link, the I'll, moonlight, but what I will say is the moonlight stuff generally works better. It's a little bit more of a pain in the ass to set up, but you can also set it up so that it just makes a shortcut directly into the game for each game that you want to do. So, and because of that, you can play games that are not in steam. Steam link is works best with games that are on steam and you have to jump through some annoying hoops to get like Epic store games or sure. origin games or you play games or whatever. And yeah. yeah, um, I mean, all of this is why I just bought that cable. Honestly, yeah, the like long I'm, ass cable. If you're long, if you're close enough that Bluetooth will work from the PC, like there's no reason not to to just use the long ass yeah, cable. Like I, I, I quite literally bought that cable to play Cyberpunk. I was like, all right, this is this is a like very big budget AAA game. It is the it is by far the most lavish production out there that is using path tracing. Although apparently Alan Wake Two is going to have it, which I think was not known until they put out the specs this week, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah, um, but I think I think Alan Wake 2 is also going to have path tracing. But anyway, that seems like a game that can benefit. Well, I mean, Control was an early ray tracing game, yes, too. So yes, like, yes, like that, I, that's their, their remedy, likes supporting new tech. Yeah, don't don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure I saw a path tracing mentioned on the specs sheet that. that they put out. But anyway, like I, I bought that cable. I was like, OK, I want to play Cyberpunk in the best possible way. And I, the only way I'm going to do that is with a direct video connection. It's it's funny because like for years I played in the 360 era. I my my gaming PC is one wall through is and my TV is basically up against the wall that my gaming PC is on, and I have a hole that goes between the the um like where where the network ports are in the living room and my office. Well, what's the nature of this hole? Is it like? Well, rough around the edges or there's like a plate there no yeah I, I put i put a i put a gang box behind it okay. so that like it's where the it's where the network run comes up into those rooms sure and because they face each other i was like oh i can just put an h I, I, there's like a one inch hdmi cable and two hdmi ports on the other gang on the on the port so i plug the hdmi cable in on one side and i plug it in on the other side and then i have a pc connection and what's funny is with the Xbox 360 wireless game controller dongle, you could just it just worked through the walls. Bluetooth stuff is much less reliable through the walls in my experience. So you got to have it kind of around a corner or something. But yeah. anyway, um, yes. games, games are good yes. on the console. Fantastic. Like, again, I came from an LG C2 like I, I, I had a, I brought my Series S out there with me. That's actually how I played Starfield for the first time was uh, for about a week on that uh, on that Series S on their LG. So point being, you know, I have I have a lot of like firsthand experience with the OLED. Like I am shocked how close this thing is to that. Like I'm sure OLED purists and I'm like I, I will grant OLED is definitely still the best thing out there. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure some OLED purists might scoff at this, but I am shocked how close this TV gets to the OLED experience. Does does it support variable? As you said, it supports variable refresh rate. Yeah, it does. HDR looks good. Uh, yes, yes. It, and so that's actually the biggest advantage of like like OLED does look better. Like, don't get me wrong. Like OLED looks better. There are still there are still some uniformity kind of artifacts on this screen that are not there on an OLED. What what do you mean by uniformity um, artifacts? If I have like a like a like a very flat color screen and I'm kind of panning the camera around, like if I look up at a blue sky or like playing F zero where the track is just this big gray field. Like you can just see some really subtle variations in the screen and the, in the sort of color. It's very, it's very subtle. You're not going to see it 99.9% .9 of the time, but you do. 
It's it's standard LCD uniformity stuff. It's, it's, a, it's the thing that your brain will filter out after about three yeah. weeks of having the TV and you'll never notice yes, it again, but yes. it's always there. But yeah. this is a VA panel. Like if you're familiar with, you know, the issues with LCD computer monitors, it's the same shit. Like, and, and the funny thing is out of the box, this TV defaults to local dimming off. Local dimming is the thing that makes all the mini LEDs go on and off as the name implies. For whatever reason, that's off out of the box. And when I turned it on for the first time, like, it looked like shit because it's got it's got all the same backlight bleed problems that you were familiar with from years Uh-oh. of using LCDs. And I was like, oh, my God, what this is. Ugh. But as soon as you turn the local dimming on, that fixes the problem. You, you never see it again. Like you never yeah. see it again. It's so that's that's where the like approaching OLED kind of quality comes in is that it, it's able to, to, to dim that stuff out. Yeah. Cause the thing that's good about OLED is you, 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 when, when you're showing black on an OLED, it's literally black. There's yeah. no, there's no light being emitted and then blocked by some sort of white screen. You know what, you know what, this sounds, this sounds maybe ridiculous and trivial, but the thing that actually blew my mind the most on their OLED was I had my switch out there and I played some breath of the wild. Yeah. The loading screens in breath of the wild because it's nothing, but white text and graphics on black, right? Like the, yeah. those loading screens are nothing but white and black hard contrast. And it looks absolutely perfect. No, no haloing, no weird bleed, no nothing. Yeah. Like literally from white pixel to black pixel, it's just like perfect. Uh, and that was, that was like after, you know, decades of CRTs and LCDs and all kinds of stuff. I was just like, this image looks immaculate, you know? Well, I mean, even the plasmas are like gray, they're dark, right. dark yes. gray, but they're still gray. That was exactly it. It's like even, even, even plasmas as good as the contrast was there could not achieve that perfect black and, yeah. and that perfect contrast between those two, those hard cutoffs. And this, this is close to that. It's still not there. Like it's, but for a say $600 price difference, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's reasonable, especially since it's since it's since we're kind of in a weird place with 4K stuff now, where they're starting to talk about higher resolutions and other stuff that I think probably isn't going to matter for a long time yeah. in terms of content. Um, what what's um? Can oh, we sorry, talk about refresh sorry, rates. I, oh. Yes, let me actually. The, I derailed myself. The thing I was going to say is like the one advantage of the mini LEDs and pretty much all LCDs over OLEDs is they get much brighter, like much yeah. brighter. You were asking about HDR. Yeah. Like, it is icy ringly bright, like uncomfortably. So like Ooh. not in a good way. Like I'm not saying like you won't believe oh. how bright this thing is. I mean like a hundred brightness for standard, uh, for SDR stuff way too much. Like, so like, like does I, it leave, sh- do you leave sh- cast shadows on the walls when you turn uh, this thing up full blast? Yes. At night. Wow. Absolutely. Like at, at night in a darkish room, I can't, I can't do more than about 40, 50% brightness on SDR. Not HDR defaults to hundred percent brightness on everything because the whole point is that only yeah, the whole range, only parts of it are hitting peak brightness. Right. But like for yeah. SDR where it's a much more compressed range of brightness, like I literally, if you push it up to like a hundred, it like kind of hurts to look at. Does this mean you you're you're having to ride the brightness on the moment to moment? No, no. Okay. I, I leave it at like fifty, and it's totally fine. Like the okay. only time, the only time, and you will really appreciate this as a plasma owner. And this is kind of one of the other reasons I lean towards this thing. The only time I ever bump the brightness on SDR up to hundred is in the middle, like the middle of the afternoon, with sun coming through an open window, and it is still totally watchable. Yeah, see, and that's there's times a day that you just don't watch TV in our house in the yes, summer. Yes, plasmas, plasmas in particular, like like we got blackout curtains in the living room because it was the only way I could play games in the afternoon. Well, yeah, um, and and like also they degrade over time. Yeah, that plasma is ten that plus is, years old yeah, at this point. Yes, so, but but plasma yeah. in its day was known for being awful in bright sunlight. 
Yeah. And so having a TV where I can like the sun is literally pointing through the open windows at four or five in the afternoon and you still see it and I can still just see it fine is just like kind of mind blowing. Does it, does it monitor the brightness of the room? I think it does have that. Uh, I think that, I think it does have that, but I, I, I turned all that stuff off. Okay. Um, let's talk about frame rate. Cause, cause we, this is what's like you said, this is what kicked off this whole conversation yeah. for us is the, the, uh, we, we've both been playing a little bit of Spider-Man this week mm-hmm. and the thing that insomniac does that you called out. And I always really appreciated on their games since the PlayStation pro came out is they say, Hey, here's what happens when you change all these settings. Cause most studios just put a bunch of settings there and they're like, do you want pre, do you want fidelity or performance? And they don't tell you what that means. Um, and insomniac gives you like eight settings and tells you what each one does. Um, and it, and it spawned an interesting kind of in between approach that I didn't fully appreciate, expect to be talking about on consoles ever really. Yes. Uh, and, and it has a 40 Hertz mode, which is the other thing. I mean, that, so, that's, that, that's the takeaway from yeah, this, right? So, so, is so, the, yeah. Me, me saying like, oh my God, you should, you have to see this. This is blowing my mind. You were like, oh yeah, I love that on the steam deck. And I had completely forgotten the steam deck had that. So, so we actually both have got experience with this. Yeah. So, so the, the benefit is on the steam deck, obviously the lower frame rate that you run and and like if you're on a desktop PC, you notice this too. Cause like you're running it, you, if I play games at 10 AP on my PC, cause I have a fast 10 AP monitor. And if I play a game, like a single player game, you know, multi your multiplayer games, your counter strike two, I'm going to crank up to 360 yards and let it run as hard as it can. And the fans can spin up and it'll be fine. Single player stuff. I often will lock it at 60 or 120 frames per second. And the, the two, two things happen. One is it generates a lot less heat. So the fans don't spin up in the computer, which is really nice. Two is, um, the, the, like that. So that power, that power savings is evident even on desktops, I guess is what I'm saying on the steam deck where you're playing off of a battery. A lot of times it's even more evident, um, because the difference from going to 60 from 60 to 40 frames per second on the steam deck is usually the difference in like two and a half hours, two hours of battery and four really? or five hours of battery in some Jeez. cases, depending on the game. Wow. And if you're playing like 2d pixely stuff, it's even more. If you're playing like playing miles Morales, which I played on the flight to, um, to, uh, DC or back from DC, that game plays at 40 frames per second, just fine. And, um, I was shocked at the difference. It it felt much 40. I, w- I remember being shocked at how much faster the, the steam deck forum has been talking about this for uh, since the steam deck came out basically. Um, and, and I was shocked at how much better 40 frames per second felt than 30 frames per second. So was I like, it doesn't seem like it should be that big difference when, when you're saying, when you're saying 30 is the low cutoff, you don't want to go below that, but 60 is ideal. You know, when you say, Oh, 40 is, is only a third of the way from 30 to 60 in you, you assume that's how that works. So when you see it in motion, you're like, Oh my God, the perception of smoothness is so much faster than that gap would imply. Yeah. It's and and I don't know. I mean, this is one of those places where look, people have been arguing about frame rates on the internet since the dawn of the internet. This is, we had this conversation at maximum PC in like 2001 when everybody's like, Oh, the human eye can't discern more than 24 frames a second. I was like, Oh, that doesn't sound right. And we talked to some vision scientists and they were like, stop bothering us with this nerd shit. We don't (laughs) care. Um, the, but, but it, it, the, the, the current, I want to say the current common wisdom on the internet is that it has to do with frame times. Mm -hmm. 
Is that what you think that's yes. right? Yes. Frame time has become, I think, a more standard measure among the people who people who report on this kind of stuff, like seriously, professionally, not not the people who yell about it on Twitter. Yeah. Well, so we talked about, I mean, frame time was the I, my game development journey started with VR, which is you know, we, we were looking for 90 frames a second. You're looking at like 6.7 milliseconds per frame or something. Um, and that was, that was always the watchword because in VR, if you, if your frame rate sags, people like some, some sizable percentage of the players will want to barf. Yes. I guess like, nowhere, nowhere is a consistent frame time more important than in a VR headset. Yeah. It's, it turns out super important. Um, so that was the, that was my first real exposure to it, but, um, it seems like it's, it's coming out to the rest of the population now, which is probably good. Yeah. I think it's a more reasonable, um, because, because your perception of differences in frame time is much more apparent than your perception of differences in frame rate. Um, and, and also like everything else, people's ability to discern different frame rates is varies wildly from person to person. Sure. Um, I, I want to say when we were at future Greg Viederman, who was at uh, PC gamer doing hardware reviews for them or, or when, when I started out there was able to look at a game running and be like, Oh yeah, that's about 38 frames a second. And he, he was within 10% every time. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, everybody has, everybody has some special skill, I guess. I would love to try that. I wish there was some like standard test. You could like somebody, somebody put that together out there and well, let, me, let me quiz myself. Well, part of it is that we watched the same benchmark loops hundreds of times yeah. every time we did video card reviews. That's, that's fair. So, that's fair. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been I've been reviewing games for yeah twenty five years almost now in one form or another. So I've also stared at a lot of this stuff. Um, we should probably we should probably explain why forty hertz is just suddenly possible all of a sudden. Yeah, have, that, that's important. I, I guess I talk, talked to people on various discords and stuff this week about it as I've been raving about this in Spider Man, and, and some people were curious like, why is this a thing now? Why is it not something that's that's been done before? Your frame rate always needs to be evenly divisible, I guess is the term, into the screen refresh rate of the screen. It doesn't have to be, but it well, works no, better it if it is. To, you're right. It doesn't have to be. But ideally, if you for best presentation, you absolutely want it to be. You get weird comb artifacts and yes, tearing and stuff yes, if you don't. Yes, you get you get judder or tearing or all kinds of unpleasant looking things happening if if if, if it is not that way. So like on a 60 hertz screen, TVs have been 60 hertz since the beginning of time. We right. talked about this in like the fifth episode. It's because of it's because of the speed the water will spun at one of the first generators in North America. Yes. So anyway, going back to the beginning of television, 60 hertz, 60 re screen ref refreshes per second has been the thing, which meant that to get clean, steady output, you either could only do 30 or 60 frames a second. Right. Yeah. Because then you're either at 30, you're every two screen refreshes, you're drawing the same frame twice. Or 60 to 60 should be pretty obvious, right? So, exactly. So now that there are 120 hertz screens out there, now we can do 40 because now 40 can be displayed evenly. 40 frames per second. Each frame is, is refreshed three times to the screen, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why this is now possible. Yeah. And and well, on the, and on the Steam Deck, it's possible because it's a, you know, the the screen that they put in there is a variable refresh rate screen. Okay. And oh, it, just, it, it just works. Does that screen not go to 120? Screen stops at 60, I think. Oh, okay. So I guess I should, I, we should say the variable refresh is the other way this can work because then, yeah. then the screen can only output as many as, as sorry, the screen can only redraw as many times as there are frames being output. Yeah. So, so on this, on the, on the steam deck, they, um, 
they they do it as a power saving thing because there's a lot of games like if you're playing slay the spire you don't need to refresh the screen every every you know every 60 times yeah. a second necessarily yeah that, that's been like an interesting innovation of recent years like for example when they went to the always on apple watch screens and i didn't very well like other smart watches probably were doing this before apple but that's just my reference point um, yeah. when, they, when they went to the always on apple watch screen when it's not sort of in focus when you're not holding it up and like it's it doesn't need to be animating in front of your face. It, it redraws at like one Hertz. Yeah. That's like literally one time per second. The screen is updating and that's how they're able to make the battery last. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's interesting. The thing I would say is if you have a TV that can do this, how, how do you trip, flip it on? And uh, is this the same as the thing that they did in ratchet and clank? Yes. Too? Yes. So the only games I'm aware of on consoles that do this, and there may be more, it's, it's Spider-Man two, uh, horizon forbidden West got an update for this and ratchet and clank on the ps5 and i don't know it might it's possible that maybe returnal has it as well it seems like something that sony first party has been pushing pretty hard which they should for good reason because it's amazing like the experience is so good well yeah because the upshot is you get a game that looks like it's a 30 hertz game but it feels like a 60 hertz game that's yes it, that's that's exactly it and, that, and that's why i give insomniac so much credit for making that clear when they they hit you with all those graphics options when you start the game and like if they did not give such detailed info about what they're doing which what each setting is doing. I would just be like, fucking, I don't know, man, performance, let's go. But they, they make it very clear and we don't need to get into all of it here because you pick fidelity or performance. Then you pick your screen refresh rate. <laughs> then you decide, do I want the frame rate uncapped or not? Like there's all kinds of considerations there, but, but what you said is exactly it. It's yeah. And they make that clear that at the start when I think about it, but they, anyway, they make that clear. Like, you're getting a higher frame rate without turning off any of the bells and whistles. Like you're keeping full ray tracing. You're basically keeping the high resolution. I mean, it does go up and down a little bit more um, to maintain frame rate, but like essentially you're getting like the image quality of the 4k presentation, but at a frame rate that feels pretty close to 60. Yeah. And, and um, it's funny that carries over even into the, into the, um, into the streamed version because I've been playing it on the Steam Deck sitting in the living room and it still feels like a 60 frames per second game, even though it's running at 40. Um, so I guess that's like, that's a good place to leave that off if, yeah, if you think, I, right? I think so. Yeah. Like I, I, I really, I hope that, and you know, this is maybe not feasible for every indie developer with a small team out there, but for like the big studios that are pushing kind of graphical powerhouses, like I would love to see this become standard because the experience is so much better. The, the only reason not to make it standard is that it doesn't work on 60 hertz TVs. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. But, but if, you know, I, I, this is the kind of thing where I assume shared libraries, shared technology will start to help like this. You know, I'm not going to say it's as easy as like, you know, the DLSS plugin is, is literally just a plugin for things like Unreal Engine now. Like, I don't know if it'll quite get that easy it, that fast, but I, I hope that I hope that middleware and, and maturing technology will make this like a, I mean, a relative it, no brainer. It, it's something that, you would hope that I would think the time consuming part would be coming up with the performance profiles yes, for each different that's, one. That's absolutely and, right. And I would hope that the platform holder could help with that when they're doing their cert stuff. Yes. Anyway, and, I don't and, know. And they should, because consoles is where this matters. Like on PC, yeah. whatever, you just brute force with more hardware. The things are not standardized in the same way, but consoles, like that's the tension now that I see out there on social media is people like really upset at like, for example, like the Alan Wake stuff coming out or like every time, Every time a big new game is announced to like, say, not be shipping with a performance mode now, like yeah. people got, <laughs> I said, don't do this three years ago and they did it anyway. People got really used to the performance modes on everything. 
at the beginning oh, of this generation. When, when we were seeing PS4, PS5 split yes. games. Yes. Yeah. And now that that stuff is starting to go away, like people are not happy about it. And I get it. Like frame rate is, is great and all, but this, like they need, they need other options. And this is a great option for still being able to push fidelity without totally sacrificing playability. Well, I mean, it's kind of the, look, it's the same thing that the, this is a tale as old as time, Brad. People complaining about frame rate on consoles and expecting you know, comparing a two thousand dollar PC against a four hundred dollar console, and anyway, we don't we don't need to get we don't yeah. need to relitigate that. No, definitely uh, not. But it, this just this is actually is actually a good compromise. I, I think it's a good best of both worlds, yeah. and and it even applies on the PC sometimes. So yeah, um, should we talk about coffee a little bit? Sure. Just trying to think so, if there's anything else I should say about the TV before we move on. I'm um, sure we'll have questions. The Google TV stuff is weird. Are you going to put an Apple TV on there? Um. Not now. reports you might not huh? so like the apps are basically fine it's kind of it's kind of more the like ancillary stuff built in around the google tv stuff that is kind of annoying in spots yeah um have you tried airplay with it uh i might have tried it it definitely so i'm, I'm pretty sure it supports it okay uh, but so does my receiver and the roku that i've still got hooked up that we now don't use well, so, yeah, like, but the, the receiver probably supports the old version. That's not like the seamless handoff stuff. That's much better now. Yeah, it's just, it's just the old the original. Um, yeah. I think the TV does, but, uh, but you know, there's stuff like there's microphone built into the TV and there's a hard physical toggle off for the microphone. If oh, you don't I like want that. it listening all the time. But I, and so I thought this was a high sense thing. And I just found out this afternoon, it's actually a Google thing because TCL is also doing Google TV now. Yeah. And apparently this even exists on like, like uh, what's the nest, um, like nest home hub or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, the, all the Google home speakers have okay. physical switches. So, so they, what they also all have. And so do these TVs is a strip of LEDs at the bottom that are essentially like an error code display. Oh, and <laughs> apparently Google's signal for, Hey, the microphone is off and needs to be on because this app can't access it is for oh, four no. yellow LEDs to show up at the bottom. Oh, wow. And stay on until what are you reaching for a Google device? What are we? I just turned the mic off. It's a little yellow light on my top one. Is it if it's just one yellow light? I think that's maybe for older devices. Yeah, this is an older device. Anyway, long story short, it's just some goofy little stuff like that. And it's like I thought this was a dumb Hisense thing until I saw like TCL owners complaining about the same thing. It's just like, hey, there are four yellow lights on at the bottom of my TV all the time because I don't want the microphone on. Got to get that black electrical so, tape, Brad. So I am. <laughs> that's that's how I started looking at light dims. Um, or you can snip some wires. Yeah. Also, the TV got stuck in a boot loop once. That's weird. Uh, and that sucked. And I had to frantically try to get into the settings in about the 30 seconds I had between boots. Oh, to, man. To hit, to hit the factory reset. Oh. That was not great. How'd you get in a boot loop? I don't know. I have no idea. Oh. It was after an update. Oh, weird. Uh, I, I've seen some people out there saying like Android and Google TV people saying like, you should probably just do a factory reset after each update. I'm increasingly it's, it's safer. Uh, God, no, I don't want to have to reset all that. Like, no, I certainly that's, don't that's a huge because then you have to log into all that. That's asinine. Like, don't get Not me wrong. Okay. I, don't, I don't mean to download and downplay this for about 45 minutes until I resolved this, which again took setting everything back up on the TV. I was like, am I just going to send this thing back? Because it was still in the return window. I was yeah, like, that this sucks. Is, if this is going to be a regular occurrence, this TV is not for me. This is, uh, this is increasingly making my feeling that the next TV I buy will be set up and never connected to the internet more than you have to do to do the initial setup. And looking, then, yes, looking around and that boot loop thing is not uncommon. I've seen people talking about that too. So like between that and like this microphone 
error light thing and stuff like that. I've also seen a good number of people saying like, yes, I don't even do the onboarding. I don't even sign into an account. I don't hook it up to the internet other than to pull whatever firmware update it needs to and then unplug it again. Yeah. It's just a dumb terminal. I mean, it's just a dumb screen. I I use boxes for all the actual apps. It's, it's funny because like, that was what made me switch to home assistant. The first time is because smart, my smart things broke and Samsung's response was, yeah, you're gonna have to set everything up from scratch. And I was like, if I yep. have to set everything up from scratch, I'm going to be doing it in a way that I never have to deal with you fuckers again. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, honestly, yeah, anyway. though, like for, for Thanks. as inexpensive, I, I will say like, you know, it's got issues and annoyances, but for as relatively inexpensive as this thing is for the picture quality that I have seen and all yeah. the features and formats that it supports, even buying this TV and an Apple TV together still feels super worth it. Yeah. Like, it seems like a prime candidate for that. Yeah. yeah. But also the yeah. apps mostly have been fine other than those little, <laughs> little issues. Um, should we talk about coffee for a minute before sure. we blast off? Sure. Uh, we talked about bypass brew zero bypass brewers when we did the coffee episode a few months ago. They're a relatively new thing. They kind of trail off of the AeroPress idea where you can get immersion and filter, like an immersion brew that's then filtered, and you get kind of the best of both worlds in terms of clarity and body um, for, for for your brewed for your brewed coffee. That sounds very um, appealing. As somebody who has taken to doing cold brew in a big mason jar, yep, which means I don't have a great way to fully fully strain all the silt out. Yeah. Or even have a press to really like push the grounds down and make sure I'm getting all the good juice out. Something. Yeah. Something like you just described sounds very nice. Well, so the, the, the zero bypass is not a, it's not a forced push through like the, um, like the arrow presses. There's no plunger equivalent, but, but what you do, uh, they're, they're basically designed to be both percolation and immersion. So immersion is like the French press style where the grounds are in the water and they sit there for a while. Uh, percolation is when you run the coffee through the water over uh, like in a pour over a Mr. Coffee or, or, or whatever. Um, it's a three-part design. Uh, so this is the second gen one from this next level company. A bunch of other people, fellow and, and, and some other vendors now have, have uh, zero bypass brewers that are available. Uh, but this one was, this one is the second gen one. Uh, and this guy named Jonathan Gogney, who's a coffee aficionado and also an astrophysicist okay. looked at their first one and was like, Hey, I can help you make this better. Do you want me to help? And then they worked together and took what he understands about fluid dynamics and flow in and flow out and all that stuff and applied it to this, uh, mainly designed for the, like, like this, the first one was called the level 10. It's a fairly large brewer, like for, for cafes or for making multiple cups at a time. This is designed to be smaller for single serves or, or maybe two, two cups. Um, and what it is, is it's a three part thing. So you, you have a base that's like a hard rubber and it has uh, channels under there. You put the filter in the bottom of the base and then there's a spout at the bottom that you can turn and open and close. It's a variable, variable, uh, size spout. So you variable flow spouts, you control the amount of water that goes out at the bottom of the brew and you put the coffee on top of that filter, uh, around the edge of it, you jam a, so you put the filter in and then you jam this plastic cylinder that looks like an AeroPress cylinder cylinder into the into the filter it fits in really tightly and it kind of locks the filter in place and makes sure that no water can get around the filter so so there's no way for coffee to water to bypass the coffee on the way out basically that's why it's called a zero bypass i believe and then on top of that for this one they put um a diffuse a dispersion lid which is a, a it just rests on the top and it's got a series of holes and channels that that basically make a really even rain shower pattern on top of the coffee bed kind of looks like an old school shower head. 
it it and it works it's exactly like an old school shower head like you pour the water in it and the water comes down in in very evenly across the entire thing um it's really, really I, like I've used it for a month and a half now it is really, really neat. Um, I, I've been a I've been doing pour overs now for more than 10 years every day. Um, I mean, I've done off and on. I do presses. I do siphons. I do all the other stuff. But but the pour over is the thing I keep coming back to. And I think that this is the new the new morning coffee going forward for me. Um, so. Let yeah. Me, let me jump. Like, what are, are you? Are you are just pouring over? That's it. Like you were just standing there with your with your little long neck kettle as usual, just pouring into the shower thing. Is that is that the yeah, whole so process for well, you? So, so there's a bunch of different ways to use it. So you can use it like a like an like a full immersion, like a French press style, and you can fill the column up with water, close the valve on the bottom, let it sit for three minutes or four minutes or however long you want to, twist the knob and let it drain out. Um, I've been doing the kind of hybrid approach, which is where you, uh, okay. So I think that probably the real answer to your question is nobody, there is not a consensus on what is the best way to use this thing yet. Uh, And part of that is that everybody has different goals. Some people want a more fuller, fuller bodied immersion brew. Some people want something that's in between. Some people don't want something with, with a lot of clarity and like the clarity people are going to leave the valve open from the beginning. The, the, the full body people are going to leave it open, leave it closed for a really long time and then drain it all at the end. The, um, the thing I've been doing is they, they, so next level has, uh, four recipes, I think on their site and a couple more on their blog, Scott Rao, who's a famous barista and has written a couple of the kind of main, main textbooks on coffee brewing and espresso and stuff like that over the years is a, is a, is an authoritative source, uh, has another recipe that he uses. Um, I'm using, the information that Scott provides plus one of the recommended recipes on the next level site. Uh, so basically I use the dry filter recipe, which is uh, a kind of uh, high clarity, uh, sweet, sweet out- outcome. Um, but with a little bit more coffee, cause I think the 18 gram brew that they recommend is, is less coffee than I want to make. Um, you don't need a pour over kettle for this is one of the big things. You just need oh. a way to boil water and to pour it into the top. I see. Cause the, pour, cause the dispersion grate, handles the distribution you don't have to be able to aim basically you do have um, to I'd, from the looks of it you do have to pour fairly slowly still though yeah like if you have a kettle if you have a kettle with a normal spout though you could you could pour as much as you need to into this um i i the thing i end up doing is a hybrid where you basically do a closed valve bloom to let the the carbon dioxide escape from the thing and then you then you flip the valve open after about a minute of that and and then start doing the pouring process after that uh the the cups that i've gotten out of it are is i don't think with the exception of probably the aeropress i've never done anything that has had this very wide a variation in cups on the the third or fourth day i had it after i was pretty confident in how to use it i tried four different recipes back to back to back to back and we didn't drink all the coffee um but tasted everything and like the same coffee. One of them was super sweet and really, really flavorful. And you could taste all the tasting notes. And one of them was black tar. And one of them was, um, one of them was really acidy. And the other one was just kind of man tasted muddy. And, um, it, it's, it's, it gives you control over variables that you haven't really had control over before with a brew method, with a filter method. Um, 
that, that's that's kind of it. Like you, you, so the basic the basic upshot is you grind your coffee, you put the filter into the base, you close the filter, uh, close the valve, you wet the filter if you so if you so desire. Um, and I mean, I always advocate for rinsing paper filters, but whatever. Uh, put your put your uh, plastic canister, your tube in there, dump the coffee in on top of the on top of the filter, and then you do the bloom for about a minute, and then you generally you open the valve and you run like 50 or a hundred milliliters of water in at a time. Uh, there's gradations on the side. So you don't even need a scale really. You can, you can do it without a scale. Um, but you, but you can also, uh, obviously it's easier if you have a scale. Um, and, uh, that's pretty much it. You just, you just keep pouring water in the top. You don't have to aim. You don't have to worry about like agitating your, your grounds. I kind of shake it to level the grounds when I put it, put them in, in the first place. But then, then you, you, you basically have coffee in about three or four minutes and, um, pretty consistently good so far. And this thing's pretty small. Is it like made to just sit on top of the coffee cup, which is the ultimate receptacle? So I, you could do it on top of the coffee cup. It, the base, uh, has, the legs the feet on the base go all the way from the center hole which is relatively small to the edge so even if you have like a narrow zojirushi or something you want to put it on you could do that i usually i have a hario brew a little brew you know glass brew vessel that i that i brew into and then i pour it into the into the mug from there but um but you could like you could do it in whatever it, it it'll it'll it will literally work with everything i don't think i'd want to do it on like a 16 ounce zojirushi because it would be a little tipsy with the with the height um you have to be a little careful because sometimes when the bottom is really hot, it, the the plastic tube gets a little loose. So you always handle it by the bottom, but because it's rubber, you, it never gets so hot that you can't pick it up. Um, the 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 valve is really good. Um, you can change the speed at which it drains. So if it's if you like if you're doing a pour over and the water is going through the grounds too fast, your only option to change that is to grind the coffee finer. With this. You can just turn this the spout a little bit, and it'll slow the 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 draining down, so the coffee lingers in the bed longer, and you get more, you get a fuller body out of that as a result. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty. I understand now why the coffee people that I follow on the socials were so excited about these things, and it's because like you can you really you like it's a, both a pro and a con, right? You can change a lot of variables. That also means if you make one cup of coffee a day, you can make some really bad cups of coffee while you're figuring out what variables are right to change and which ones aren't. Like I made some really, really bitter coffee by running the, the, the valve too slow. Uh, there's also no good way to measure the valve speed. You have to just kind of eyeball it. Cause there's no, like it's not, there's no detents. There's no marks. Just got a vibe with it, man. You, you got to look at the water coming out of the coffee, coming out of the bottom of the thing and kind of be like, okay, that's more than drips, less than a gush. Don't make that the title, please, Brad. Oh, I won't. Wait, okay. actually, hang on. I was just, I was just about to plant a title. I was just about to seed a title, but can you oh, say okay. that one again? More than a, no, more than, no, drip, less more than, than drips, less than a gush. Yeah, that's, that's what pretty, I said. That's pretty, that's way better than what I had. Oh no. Um, I was going to say though, I'm, I'm right here on, we said the name of this thing, right? To be clear. It's the next the, level. The, this is the next level Pulsar. The next level Pulsar is the name of the product. I'm on their site here. Straight up got it set against a space background with a big nebula. Like they are full on pitching this as like coffee from space. 
Well, John, Jonathan, like, like the, the thing that he did, I think is figured out both the flow channels underneath the, underneath the filter to make it, to make it run at a very, at the right, at the right speed. Like the goal is to get more or less the same speed in and out. Right. So the water stays exactly the amount of time you want it there. And the holes in the top are set so that that works, but you still get a sprinkly pattern. And then the, the drain in the bottom works the same way. Sure enough. His blog is called coffee at Astra. Yeah. So he's, he's been, he's been doing this for 15 years. I think at this point, he's been talking about coffee for a long time. Sure. Uh, um, I have one more question. Yes. Why, why would you rinse your paper filter? Gets the paper taste out. So some huh. people really like the taste of the paper filter, huh. um, but it, it covers up a lot of coffee stuff. Coffee I guess, flavor. I guess I've never been able to distinguish the paper taste from the coffee taste because everything, all the coffee I've ever made has been through a paper filter. Try rinsing your paper filter next time you drink huh. your coffee. Interesting. Yeah. Just, just, uh, just run a little bit of water through it. Just get it wet and let it sit for a second. And then, um, then, yeah. Let me, let me ask a question since I was talking about trying to filter silt out of my cold brew. Yes. I've been trying, I tried using the other day for the first time, a paper filter to do that. Cause like the last cup out of the big mason jar of cold brew is just, and actually it's like the last two sips of the last cup, but it's disgusting. You probably want to pour rather. So when your full cold brew is done, you probably want to pour the cold brew through the paper filter at that point. So that's what I tried to then do. wait until the very end. Yeah. And it did not work. Um, just it, it, it choked the filter. I guess, I guess that's what it was. I, I, I went through like three filters cause I was like, okay, maybe there's enough fine grain silt in there on the first time to kind of choke it out. So I tossed that filter and then tried another one and the same thing happened. And then I tried another one and it still happened. Like so some you, amount will run through when there's enough kind of downward pressure. But once, yeah. once, once it's uh, I mean, even like half of the liquid is still left sitting in the little basket thing. Like it just sits there, no drip, no nothing. Like it just sits and I could not get all the coffee through. You should grind the coffee way coarser. Huh, okay. For cold brew, you're leaving, letting it sit for 24 hours, right? Ish, yeah. Sometimes a little less. Yeah. So if it's more than 12 and less than 24, your coffee should be the coarsest you've ever seen. Interesting. I, 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 so I had been doing very coarse. My, my grinder goes to 15 is where it tops out. Yeah. It's like one to 15 on coarseness with a bunch of gradations in between. And yeah. I had been doing like 13 and a half or something. That's probably, that seems right. Uh, but, um, I, but, but then I read, I read one coffee blog that said like, oh, people just do that to help strain the silt out. I actually go finer. And so I had gone down to like 10 or 10 and a half. Maybe, maybe I should bump it back up then. But if, if you're, are you using a Chemex filter, I'm assuming? No. Using, using a basket filter? To, oh, for the, for the paper filter? Yeah, for the paper filter. Yeah, I was just using a standard basket. I've also so got a cone for what it's worth, but the cone isn't going to do what you want because okay. it requires the silt in there to make the cone work right. Um, the other thing you could do is get some fine cheesecloth and use that. Yeah, I've I've tried that. Maybe maybe it's shitty cheap cheesecloth. Well, like you it, have it to do let... multiple. You have to do like six layers. Oh, okay. You fold it over itself a whole bunch. Okay. Um, the, but like the problem with all of that. So the thing you don't want to do is squeeze the water out of the grounds, the last bit of ground. Oh, really? Is that yeah, not, cause is you're going to get then? really gnarly, all the gnarly <laughs> stuff that's going to make it really taste bad is that, in there. That had been, that was going to be my other question. Cause I'm just doing kind of free floating grounds in a giant Mason jar. And, yeah, that's, and so, that part's fine. So when I pour, I pour all the water out and then basically like let it stop dripping, but then I'm like, Oh, but there's still a lot of moisture left in those grounds. But so the other thing you could do, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but try, try and let me know how it goes, is you could pour, like if you have a steady hand, you can let the let the coffee sit and settle and then pour the top like 
70% off really carefully in one continuous pour. So you don't, so you don't upend the sediment. And then before you start even seeing the sediment get near the end, you could run the rest of that through the filter and then just chuck out whatever stalls. Sure. Sure. I would do the, I would try the Chemex filter. If you have a chem, if you have paper filters for the Chemex though, I do not, but should I get one? Do you have, do you have, do you have, you have a Chemex, right? I do not have a Chemex. Oh, never mind then. Um, I, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll table this Don't, one for now. I'll keep experimenting. Yeah, ta- 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 let me know how the cheesecloth, the cheesecloth is probably your best bet. I, I probably should just get some better cheesecloth than what I had. Which, well, I mean, just, just keep folding it until it does what you want. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I actually you have actually to wash nasty that. coffee cheesecloth in your I, laundry, which is I, not great. Ugh, ugh. Well, this was not even good enough cheesecloth to save and wash. I think all cheesecloth is seems uh, bad. I, I I don't I don't know that I'm, I'm, I don't or or actually more to the point I don't think this cheesecloth would have survived a run through the washer. Oh, okay, um, okay. But also I actually doubled it so many times the liquid would not go through at all once. Oh well, there but you go. Apparently, so one less possible. than that, and let yeah. me know how it goes. Yeah. Um, are you still doing the, the cold brew every day? You mean drinking it every day? Yeah. Or uh, are you doing the high concentrate and dilute? Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking it every day. I've gotten the brewing down to like, honestly, like twice a week. When it, since I, I was doing a French press literally every night. Yeah. But cleaning, cleaning the French press daily just got really old. So I can see that. Uh, so I've got, we've got the big, what is, what is kind of the big standard mason jar size? Is that two, quart? two, two quarts, one quart? Is it the one it's that the eggnog comes in or is big, it bigger than uh, that? It's, it's like the double size of that. It's like a, so that's a two quart. Then. I think, I think it's two quart jars that we've got. So I'm doing, I actually, I got the ratio like exactly as much to I'm doing seven to one. Okay. Uh, concentrate now. I, I figured out exactly how much grounds to water I could fit into that jar without it overflowing the top, which is about, I think it's about 225 grams of coffee to about 1575 water. Uh, so okay. I'm, doing, I'm doing that like twice a week and that's, that's like enough to get me through a week, which is nice. That sounds really good. Yeah. It's, it's working out. It's been a journey. Still, still working out some kinks. Um, so yeah, people have, again, the brewer is the next level zero. There's a, there's, um, there's a similar one from fellow. And I want to say that there's some other stuff coming that I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about or not, but, um, if you have questions, post them in the food channel. I've been talking to people about coffee in there off and on since yeah. the coffee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, my TV again is a high sense UAK, just in case you're wondering. Yeah. Uh, and, and this one hasn't, as far as we know, uh, it, it hasn't started the USB and it hasn't stopped working after like six, six months. Oh, I was making a, your motherboard joke from last week's episode. Oh, Sorry. Yes. That's yes. That's a whole other thing. There's a whole, there's a whole world of your, your motherboard jokes that, uh, people just don't make, huh? <laughs> your, your mama board, your mama board. So incompatible. Uh, yeah, we'll workshop that one. Yeah, we need to work on this a little bit. Um, Brad, we've reached the point of the show where we thank everybody for listening, and we especially thank our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. Um, if you would like to find out how to support Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod, which is a 100% listener supported show, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod. Again, it's patreon.com slash tech pod, where for as little as $5 a month, you can get access to the fabulous tech pod discord, the monthly patron exclusive patron episode of the show, where we talk about more things that we, uh, that we talk, that we test. We talk about, uh, things that we're working on. We talk about, we answer questions, we do all sorts of stuff. Um, and, uh, if you would like to become an executive producer tier patron, you can get your name read on the show every single week. 
just like Nick Johnston, Paddle Creek Games makers of Fractured Veil, Andrew Slosky, Jordan Lippett, Dollar Sign, Wedge says Mike B says join the gift swap by October 31st, Joel Krauska, Twinkle Twinkie, David Allen, James Kamek, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Uh, thank you also so much for your support. Yes, we appreciate you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as our friend Rob Zagney says at the end of all of his podcasts, if you if you don't want to, if you, if you can't support us on the show, go to iTunes, leave a review. That's real mm-hmm. nice. That helps a podcast, it turns yeah. out. Wait, even if it's a bad review? Okay. I'm not, I'm not so crass that I'm going to say don't leave a bad review <laughs> for a podcast. Uh, but, you know, I assume you didn't get to this point in the show if you don't at least enjoy some part of the show. So to be honest, the reason I asked was like, I actually would believe that algorithmically even low, like even one star reviews might might. It's a, it's engagement. There is. That's exactly it. Like there is enough up is down. War is peace going on in Internet content these days. That If you told me that even negative reviews were actually beneficial, I would believe you. So I will unequivocally say on Steam, negative reviews are not beneficial. Okay. If you like a game at all and or like the people who make the game and want them to continue being able to make the game leave thumbs ups even if even if you're like hey man this game kind of has problems but i like this part of it that's a thumbs up from me uh anyway that'll do it for us this week thanks for uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next week